day and welcome to episode 166 of the Effect Podcast. You know what a turtle is? Same thing. I'm Dave. And I'm Matthew. And welcome back, Dave. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm very sorry about the low quality uh, of the conversation in the last episode. You know, we could, getting good hosts is really hard. No, no, I, you know, I, and Andy held his end up fine. Don't let's not rubbish Andy. But well, I'm for, very you know, for, to be hang on. Well, one of the one, when we first started this podcast, we did a little like we, we sat down. We had a little philosophy of things that we must and mustn't do. And first on that list was rubbish Andy. So come on, let's not let's not betray our principles. <laughs> that was, here. Yeah, that is part of our uh, our, <laughs> our reason whole... for being. Yes. yes. No, our no, no. Mission so statement. I'm 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 very grateful to Andy for for filling in um, whilst I was always sitting on a boat in the sunshine drinking as many strawberry daiquiris as is humanly possible uh, which was great but yeah great to be back as well of course excellent and we're back to some oh well a pretty exciting episode we are really frank we um we've got uh, a, a triad of uh new patrons to welcome um we've got some feedback um Write to us at feedback at effectpodcast.org. With a K we will, in the effect, remember? Uh, with a K in the effect. Uh, with a K, yeah. Feedback at effect podcast with a K. Not the words effect podcast with a K. <laughs> effect spelled so with spell a K. Spell the word effect with a podcast. All one word. Effect podcast with a K. All one word. Got that. Okay. <laughs> that was clear. Um, Should we do that bit again? So we've got feedback from Michael Bruce, which uh, we will uh, read and we will discuss because it's an interesting topic and it covers something we talked about before. Uh, and it's great to hear from uh, Michael is a new listener and a particular thing brought him to our door. So that's really excellent good, uh, to hear. Um, we've got loads of news in the world of gaming, which we won't spoil here, but we will get on to later on, except for the fact... That there was an announcement from Free League, and we have an interview about that announcement, which will be the, the main part of our programme this episode. Indeed. Cool. So, um, new patrons, I guess. Uh, let's say hello to Marty Jobson. Thank you very much, Marty. Hello, Marty. Welcome. Uh, now, I should have worked on the pronunciation of this, but I'm just going to go with it. Forgive me, Peter, for mispronouncing your name as Peter Djerv. <laughs> it's got a J where I've put a little I there, but that works for me anyway. Welcome. <laughs> and it's it's a bit of a tradition anyway for, for, for new patrons to have their, their name pronunciation totally mangled by... Oh, I was going to say by that Matthew, but by, 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 both, well. by both of us. Yes, absolutely. So, so sorry, but welcome. Great to have you on board. <laughs> and Matthias Lodmarm, thank you very much for joining us. Cool. Brilliant. Thank you all. Great to have you on. Um, yeah, it's cool. More people to chat to. It's fabulous. Of course, being a patron isn't the only way you can support us. You can support us just by listening. Thank you to all our listeners. Absolutely. And you can support us by interacting with us on Twitter and on Facebook and by email. And uh, one person has done that, and that's Michael Bruce. And I thought we he, he raised some interesting points about mm. the three world empire in um, in in Alien. Yeah. And I thought we should share those points to the wider world. 
and um, and maybe have a bit of a discussion about them. So okay. uh, let me call up that email. Um, I have been scouring the internet, says Michael Bruce, trying to find information on the Three World Empire and came across your podcast. Woo! Good man. Uh, I love the idea of an intermingling royal family, which I think was my idea. (laughs) Yes, yes, that could be your idea. That's fine. (laughs) I had really enjoyed the idea of a more advanced tech but fewer numbers idea for the military forces. Kind of how they did it in the show The Expanse, with Mars being a superior force but having fewer ships than the United Nations. When I thought about the Royal Marine Corps of the Third World em- of the Three World Empire, I thought about an intermingling of the UK's amazing discipline and training combined with the Zen and the samurai arts of Japan. While I think of the look and feel of the uniforms being similar, perhaps with a slightly different camo to those of the U- colonial marines. I thought about how they might have shield tech or sleeker designs or even invisibility or stealth check. Stealth check? I meant stealth tech. Sorry, (laughs) that's me reading that wrong. Maybe the Royal Marine Commando units could move fast to get into close quarters and use a tech katana for the bulk of their damage. On the opposite side, it would be interesting to think about more of a mech suit approach to the troops of the Royal Space Marines, or for them, I'm I'm guessing we're talking about the mechs here, to go back to the classic red and white colour scheme. And so that's uh, that's Michael's email to us, and I thought it raises some points that we might briefly discuss. Hmm. First of all, I like the idea of, well, I'm not sure I do, but (laughs) bear with me on this one. I like the idea of blades. Now, I'm not sure whether everybody would have a katana because, of course, the Royal Marine Commando has a very distinctive bladed dagger as part of their cap badge. Mm. And I, you know, I kind of wouldn't necessarily want to lose to lose that. But um, I guess if it's an intermingling of Japanese and British cultures, then maybe what was what's the what's the what's the shorter version? The the Wazash, Wazahiri? Wazaki? What's the name of the uh, knife? The oh samurai. God. We've played Legend of the Five Rings for blooming years, and now I can't remember either. As soon as you said it. Where's my L5R? Wakazashi. Wakazashi. I think. Here we go. I'm, I'm uh, going yeah, to check it. I've got my L5R book. Carry on talking. But of course. While you're checking, I was thinking uh, this uh, Blades in Space isn't a new idea, obviously. Um, it, it was a big thing in a Traveller, and they justify it in Traveller by saying, of course, you know, in ship-to-ship combat, you don't want to be shooting off bullets everywhere because you don't want to puncture the hull and depressurize the whole thing. And I no. feel, well, you know, what's good for Traveller, it could be good for Alien as well. And I'd love to see British forces carrying Blades, or sorry, should I say, Three World Empire forces carrying blades, but maybe uh, that's just a tradition of blades. So you might well have uh, Gurkhas with their kukris. Yeah. You may well have Japanese uh, officers with their katanas and wakazashis. Uh, you might well have um, uh, British 
officers of British heritage with cavalry sabres and stuff like that. It's mm. just there is a tradition of carrying blades on ship. That's something that marks out um, Three World, World Empire, Empire forces. It is, it is Wakazashi, by the way. Yeah. Wakazashi, so, yeah. Wakazashi, um, yeah. It's, cool. it's, it's, it's interesting. In my, in my um, research for, uh, for war stories, I did come across a picture of, I can't remember the guy's name, he's quite a famous um, British commander, but storming the beaches with a sword in hand, which is quite an mm. interesting image. Yeah, as an aside. But yes, so I, I think that's a, I, I like the idea of that. I quite like the, I, I do like the idea of the, the Wakazashi actually perhaps becoming the, the blade of choice for the commander, for the Royal Marines. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we could do that. Yeah. Which I think works quite nicely. Um, yeah. Also, I mean, the other thing that that, that Mike was talking about, kind of the, the the strategy. So in the in the piece that I did about the navy, I tried to blend mm-hmm. the, the the Japanese sort of overwhelming battle doctrine, where you kind of hit hard and hit fast, um, with the the old British English navy uh, policy of I'm not sure what it's called now, but where you you basically the navy's going to be three times. The numbers, of your, times the your enemies the combined. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, which again, I guess, plays a little bit against Michael's comment about the idea that actually you have fewer ships. It's a smaller doing, navy, but better ships. Doing more yeah. stuff, but then that might just be that the the three word empire have got a few of the you know the the flagship carriers, which actually carry a huge amount of punch. Um, yeah, or it could be that the navy's big, but actual, uh, you know, uh, boots on the ground is relatively small. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or boots or mechs on the ground. I mean, it's interesting, mm. you know, because because Alien with its power loaders does, you know, have a slight, a slight movement towards mechs and potentially battle mechs. Well, it's interesting because um, in the Colonial Marines Operations Manual. You do have a a form of mech, but it's a, it's a mm. black project where you you effectively insert the human into the mech and they cannot be removed without being killed. So they oh. they become a cybernetic creature completely. Yeah, um, which is uh, yeah, that's great. Uh, that's fine. It's not much fun if you are the person being put in it and you don't want to be in it because you can never get out. Um, no. A bit a bit like. Um, 40k i think it's 40k um space marines i seem to remember space marines never get out of their armor do they yeah i don't think i was certainly maybe not i'm not sure about 40k but certainly in uh the starcraft version the the, the blizzard game starcraft mm-hmm. uh the the backstory of that is that the marines are permanently fused inside their armor and can never take it off um but the idea, the point I'm getting to, the the obvious idea between the power loader and between the kind of cyborg is that you've got a suit you can just get in and then control and then get out again. Um, yeah. A bit like the thing in, and, um, what was it, in Avatar, where the, yes. the, the, the baddie commander guy that they fight at the end gets into one of those kind of mech suits. Yeah. And, you know, with the power loader as an example, it, it's possible, you know, Slap a bit more armor on that, so you you're not in a JCB cage, and um, yeah, I think I think it could be a thing, and yeah, yeah paint it white and red because you know that's both uh, British Navy colors and Japanese Navy colors, and yeah, yes. so that's 
three world empire that badge i designed for our thing um I, I keep thinking we should um, get some of those embroidered for our top level patrons but mm-hmm. uh, that's another story entirely that's i quite like the idea of that 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 little um logo that you did i thought it was really good certainly for the cool. the, the yamato one it was excellent well maybe we will maybe that'll be our next bit of swag but ah. um Michael, uh, Michael Bruce, thanks very much for sending that feedback. We yes. love to hear feedback from people. And uh, like Michael, you may get on the show and we may talk about what your suggestions are. Moving on, though, it's time for the world of gaming, Dave. It is. Come out. Yeah, well, I guess the first big thing to say uh, is Blade Runner. Woo-hoo, Blade Runner. Whoop. Uh, but we'll be talking about that a bit later on, obviously, yes. because that's what we've got Thomas on the show to discuss. Uh, so that will be... Uh, most of the show. Um, but yeah, what else have we got in the world of gaming this week? Well, there's quite a lot, isn't there? Yeah, where should, where we, should start we start? With the Ennies. Let's start with the Ennies. And now now I'm wishing, oh, I wish I'd got the page up with the Ennie prize winner so I could remember everything. So I'm, what I'm going to do, though, is I'm going to, as I'm calling that up to list everything that. Um, uh, the, the Free League one, because of course that's what most of our listeners are interested in. I do want to talk about some other any winners um, that uh, that that won who are very close uh, to my heart. Yeah, and uh, these are my friends, Nick Brook and Chris Gidlow, who I play RuneQuest with. Nice. Well, I haven't played RuneQuest with while we've been on um, lockdown, but. I'm playing RuneQuest with them on 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 Sunday coming, and many years ago, they uh, did uh, what they call a freeform, a sort of LARP uh, RuneQuest at um, a convention, which um, which grew and grew, grew like Topsy, and uh, is set in the in Glorantha's Lunar Empire, and that won a prize. Cool. Um, that won the prize for the best organised play because with lockdown, uh, Chris and Nick and uh, um, Mark Hagen, I think is the third author, said, you know, we could, you know, we've got time on our hands. We're all, we're all uh, furloughed or uh, working from home and stuff. And so they put together a beautiful thing for the equivalent of the Free League Workshop, which is called the Johnstown Compendium. Nice. So it was available as PDF, but it sold so many copies that, in fact, um, and there was so much demand for hardback and softback printed versions that Dry Through RPG let them start selling um, hardback and uh, softback uh, print-on-demand versions. So it's a big seller, really big mm. seller, and it's turned out to be so popular, so many people voted for it, that it... We won the gold medal in the best organised play. Nice. Which so congratulations to them. Absolutely. And I kind of feel yeah. like I know them. Um, so uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, cool. So, yeah. I, that... As as an aside, what is Topsy and why does it grow really fast? Because mm, I, I think that's a question for like a future Topsy. episode of the podcast. It's just such a strange phrase. People do say it grew like Topsy, though, didn't it? Do they? We'll do a bit of a search. We'll come back to you with that answer. <laughs> so this is now the most important question of this episode. <laughs> we need to we need to know what Topsy is and why it grows so well. Yes. Anyway, um, so back uh, uh, back, to, back to the end. Back to though. the main list, though, and so, I want to start off with judges' spotlight winners. 
Go on which, then. Which threw you. Well, it's only that one of the judges spotlight winners. I was going to say, you're obviously determined to, to lead this piece. So crack on, mate. Go on. <laughs> Sorry. No, you can lead after this. No, no, this is no, just no, an improv because no, no, we didn't talk, discuss it beforehand. But I realised <laughs> that James Serrano, uh, who is one of the judges, each judge, when they become a judge, they're kind of allowed to say, this is my favourite thing. And I think it's a way of making sure they then don't sort of bias that when it comes to selecting yeah. know, shortlist winners. So James Serrano, as his judges... Um, uh, judges spotlight winner selected Slay Industries second edition core mm. book, and I just thought we should talk about that for a bit because we've just played. We Slay can have a conversation Industries. about Slay, can't we? Yeah, yeah. Do you well, want to start that off? <laughs> so uh, our our patron friend Paul very very generously offered to run Slay for us. We've talked about Slay for quite a while. I I've had the um, quick start rules and had a quick look over that, which. Uh, so yeah, Jared Earl that I uh, I met for the first time at um, UK Games Expo this year. I had a really good chat with him and uh, had a read through those. And I'd, I'd seen them as well with the Terminator Quick Start, though I'd never played it. But Paul very generously offered to run Slay for us so we could get a feel of how the game ran. And we had that game earlier this week. And um, yeah, what, what did you think, Matt? <laughs> or shall I go first? So no, I'm going to go first. You go so first. I... I I really enjoyed the game. I had a real blast. I, uh, I, I, I like the setting. I think the setting is quite cool. I mean, it's sort of grim, dark city, where you are playing a freshly trained uh, operative who goes about doing good things, presumably doing doing things that the people in the city and the people who control the city approve of. Whether they're good things or not, I guess is another matter. And in doing that, you will gain. Uh, repute, you will gain uh, some kind of fame. You could become, become celebrity. And in our little in our little playtest the other day, we were three new um, new operatives. I was a neo something rather, which is basically an avian form. Yeah, there are and, two avian races. Yeah, uh, I can't remember which one you are. Yeah, it was neo something. I can't remember the rest of it. Um, but my character was basically. The face man of the group. Uh, I did the talking, and you know, I'm good at investigating, but I'm not good at much else. And I loved the opportunity there to just kind of start being a showman and trying to get interest mm. in this crappy little job we'd been given to go into the sewers and work out what the noise was. Um, yes, the idea I, in Slay, of course, is you're not just um, uh, troubleshooters; you also have to build your reputation with the public because everybody yeah. watches television all the time. Yeah, and so I, at I, our I, level. So the I really weren't like, that interested in us, so you were no. working quite hard at yeah. Yes, because we were brand new, and uh, yeah, well, there, there was a reporter there who then realised when we were so lowly that she just ignored us and walked off. But if she'd stayed mm. with us, she'd have had a fabulous scoop because we did some really good stuff. So yes. for me, the setting and the way Paul ran it felt um, it really encouraged me to role play that character, and I loved jumping into it and doing stuff that's a bit different. So my character in combat didn't get into the fight particularly. I tried to distract one thing so you could hit it more easily. Uh, obviously, yes. in the hope that it didn't hit me because it might have killed me in one blow. And I, I blew up a, a crate of stuff to try and cause a problem rather than actually going toe-to-toe, which I thought worked really nicely. And it worked quite well as a team dynamic as well because you and Bruce, you were the bruiser who could batter people to death with, well, as it turned out, their friends. <laughs> yes. And Bruce was our, our, our gunslinger, I think, effectively. 
So I loved that. The setting was fine and really good. And the way it worked with us and the way Paul ran it, that was really cool. Um, I was very pleased we were using Paul's Roll20 that he yes. designed for it because I I would have been floundering a bit, I think, in the kind of complexity of the rules. So mm. I think the rules feel quite crunchy. The, the, the combat we had, which is great fun, I loved it. It had a very kind of, for me anyway, a very sort of D&D vibe as opposed to a kind of Year Zero engine vibe about it, which is fine. But it's obviously a different feel to the way the combat, the way the combat runs, and the way that you conclude the combat. But I, I had a great time. I really enjoyed it. But I still, I have, a, I have a concern over how, how long it would take a new player like me to really get the hang of the the, the combat system and the mechanics to the point where you just go, okay, right, pick up dice, bang, you know, and off you go without a second's thought. But yes, it, I, it was I, great, and I really I, enjoyed it, though. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I I feel much the same as you. Um, I very much enjoyed the adventure that Paul ran for us. I it's a I think it's a quick start adventure by Jared. So yes, because Jared yeah. in fact was watching the show. So yeah, that was so great was having Jared. I, I had no uh, idea that Jared was going to be. I don't know if Paul had tipped him off or something. I um, don't know, or wh- no. whether just my tweet, you know, saying Nightfall Games. Had, had, whatever but anyway i think yeah. we had quite a few fans of slay industries watching us yes and uh seeing us do that which you know that's that's slightly uh, scary when you realize that <laughs> yeah I but, know. um <laughs> uh yeah so i very much enjoyed the adventure i was playing a malice stormer which is a thing um uh, kind <laughs> of genetically uh, genetically modified um or created to be to be to be people who punch a lot and tough and tough as old boots yeah um and but but i think what made it fun for me was paul's gming uh mm-hmm. his experience with the system yes. although i think he said this is the first time he's actually run the second edition but um but he's played he, it quite he, a lot he's embedded yeah. in the world he developed the the spreadsheet the um the couch sheet we we're all using which made the rolls very and that was we just and that was excellent. Yeah, I think the work that yeah. he put into that roll twenty character sheet to do all that mechanics was, was top notch. Was really good. It made it much easier yeah. for us as brand new players just to focus and on the game. And of course, he rather. then you know very quickly interpreted the results. So even with the even with all yes. the calculations that roll twenty does, it comes up with x successes and um, and another number which I can't remember what it so, is. So yeah, you, so you have your you have your success die. You have one of those, and that either succeeds yeah. or doesn't. And then you have skill dice. Skill dice. And the yes. more of the, the more of those you get, the better the success is if you get a success. Yes. Yeah. And so, and in fact, so much so that if you get three skill die but no successes, then you can count that you can spend those three skill die on as a success. success. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And make it a very yeah. basic success. So uh, anyway, so uh, Paul was great at talking us through that and helping us interpret the rules. Um, I'm not sure I like the setting as much as you do. Okay. Um, well, for me, I for, me it, for me, it gave me a very kind of nostalgic um, uh, sort of like throwback to the old Judge Dredd game we used to play back yeah. in the day, where you would you would have roll call at the beginning. And then you'd go out and you'd choose which of those things you want to do. And it, for me, it felt as if you could easily play it in a very similar way where you get a choice of missions that your operatives are going yeah. to take with different, differing levels of difficulty. And then you go off and do them. And I, I love that. Even though I think in some senses, you know, in, in recent years or, in re- you know, more, more recently, 
we go for much more open-ended games that are are much more up to the player to drive which way it goes. And a game like that can feel a bit railroady if you are given a mission to go and do. But on the other hand, if you're given a few missions and you get a choice, that's actually a lot of fun. Um, And I really loved the the Judge Dredd campaign we had back in the day that I was the GM for. Um, Well, not always, actually, because I had my judge... I had Judge Iscariot, didn't I? So I did play a bit, actually. yes. Um, I don't remember who GM'd it when I played it, but... um, Andy GM'd it, was it? Don't know. Don't think so. Or John Lennon? I can't remember. Anyway. But anyway, so Slay gave me a real blast back to that, and I think that's what really helped me get get into the setting and, and like the idea of the setting for Slay. Yeah, it's not that I dislike the setting. It's just not what I'm into now, I think. Yeah, maybe. Um, And maybe, actually, it is because it feels very much... I mean, it's not of that time because it came out in the 90s. I remember seeing uh, the Slay book in in the game shop in the 90s. But, um, Mm. uh, yeah, so it's not one we've ever played, but it felt for me a little bit like... I really enjoyed it. I mean, one of the things I loved about the setting was... um, uh, Bullets cost so, a lot of money. Uh, yeah, a lot of money. So Bruce, uh, who was our, our, our third teammate, he he was a gun guy. Uh, he he pretty much won the fight for us at the beginning by by spraying the enemies with with a with a big bit Full of suppressive auto. fire, yeah. which made them uh, easier for us to defeat. Um, but um, the other thing that costs is your, you know, your armor costs quite a lot to be repaired. Yeah. And I took a lot of hits because I was the guy that the NPCs were trying to kill because if I'd got close to them, they wouldn't have lasted long. <laughs> and um, and I love the idea that it wasn't, you know, I was taking lots of hits. It wasn't really affecting me physically, but it was costing me all our money from this from yeah. this mission. Uh, and I love the idea that that's what I was angry about. So they, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, at one point, of course, you said you're, you know, you weren't particularly good at combat, but you shot uh, a guy that I'd been beating up and, and and dealt the death blow to him with that pistol. So I he collapsed had, in front of me. I think you only had one hit point I, left at that point, though. So I didn't. Well, I didn't, yes, yeah, but I you did shoot him. him. You hit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I love the idea that I was so angry that I just picked up this dead body and threw it at the bloke who'd been um, shooting me so much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and hit. And, and again, you know, I feel that was an advantage of having Paul as GM there because, you know, he let me do that. And I I don't know whether there were rules for doing that, really, but he knew how to make that work within the system. So yeah. uh, well, I, it's like, I really love the adventure, but I don't feel any need to go and explore that setting anymore. Yeah, I think. no, That's fair enough. No, I guess, you know, settings aren't... Not everyone is going to love every setting. But I think you're right. I think Paul's GMing was, was excellent. And say a couple of things I tried to do, like distracting the, the giant pig that was trying to kill us and then mm-hmm. shooting the, the barrel of explosives, which I think were things that aren't covered in the rules specifically, but Paul improvised brilliantly to, to make those really fun things to do. Yeah. Ah, which is great, yeah. Anyway, yeah. for a section on the Ennies, this is probably a bit too long spent on one judge's spotlight. <laughs> yeah, but no, anyway, I just want to say a great big thanks to Paul for, for offering uh, to run it and then running it for us. Had a really good time. Now I can't say I haven't played Slay, because I have. No. Um, yeah, and it was great. And I, I, I had a really good time. And yes, we can say we enjoyed it as well. Moving on, though. Back to the Ennies. Best yes. adventure. 
I'm giving yes. you an opportunity to jump in here with with Best Adventure, but <laughs> but, but if you want, sh- I'll not, tell you I'll tell I'm, you who won. I'm, I'm not sure I want to, seeing you like hogged <laughs> the line, but I'm going to now anyway. So Best Adventure, hey. uh, I don't know who won it, who got gold, but Destroyer uh, of World Halls got, of the Blood King got gold. We don't care about them. No. So uh, Destroyer of Worlds for Alien RPG got silver, which is uh, another great result after the. Uh, awards that the uh, the scenario won at UK Games Expo, and yeah, yet another award for a game that I worked on. <laughs> how how good am I? As if it's all my doing, you know. But yes, uh, it was great to have a chance to work on it, and brilliant that it's it's uh, it's got yet another award. Whoop! Excellent, and I enjoyed playtesting that as well. Um, mm. uh, it also it did get uh, another award as well though. Uh, Destroyer Worlds also got the gold award for production values. It's great, and it is. And it's a and lovely a silver little, award. Uh, cartography wasn't it? I think with the silver. Yes, and so yeah, actually, I think I think the um, the thing that 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 really did it, I suspect for that is the the map of the colony, because I think the Ari- mm-hmm. Ariarchus colony map is actually really good, because it covers yes. a very big area. It looks really cool when you just look at it from a distance. And it, it 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 it's it's got enough detail that you can base your game or base a scene anywhere in it, but it hasn't got too much detail whereby you're looking at every single house or shack or you know. So actually, I no, think it's and- really it's a really good map, and I actually used a portion of it, um, entirely plagiarized a portion of it for District Eleven um, when mm-hmm. I ran that scenario as a quick way of getting a half decent map for that game. So, yeah, that was really well done. I think that was excellent. And uh, you'll remember that I really enjoyed the first act, possibly more than the rest, as a player. And, again, I love that sort of detective story element of that that first bit. And one of the things that really inspired me to delve into that detective story side was that wonderful map. So well-deserved cartography win there. Yeah, absolutely. And I had absolutely nothing to do with that map. I did draw a couple of the maps based on uh, Drew's description, like of the bar, but they're pretty, they're pretty standard. And I don't think they had much to do <laughs> with winning the award. Yeah. I think that was one we'll for, the, for the colony map, pretty much, because that was pretty epic. Brilliant. And while we're on the subject of artwork, then we should also mention uh, the winner of uh, best art cover and yes. best art interior. Verson. What great Verson. artwork! Yay! What great artwork that is in Verson. It's just absolutely fabulous. Uh, such an interesting style that Johan Ergerkrantz has got for all of that, and it's just—it's just brilliant. I mean, we talk about artwork a lot on this, and we just tend to—I well, certainly just tend to gush <laughs> about all the artwork. Yes. So, apologies if if listeners are getting bored with me gushing over artwork, but it's um, yeah, it's it's brilliant. Very very well deserved awards. Absolutely. Brilliant. Um, now, I'm, I'm looking down the list here. I think we also need to talk a little bit about the Best Aid and Accessory Digital Silver winner, which also won the Best um, Digital... Uh, oh, God. Um, best Online Content. Mm. And that is Dungeon. Yes. Uh, the f- Dungeon is the follow-up to Scumbertha. Uh, and Scumbertha is a character generator for... Merkboy and Dungeon is the dungeon generator for Merkboy. Yeah. And uh, 
well done to um, uh, to the guys behind that. It's listed yeah, so, as Stockholm so Cartel uh, and Occult Automaster Games, but I think it's uh, I, I I think the creator was originally a fan um, with a name, a proper name, and I can't remember who it was, but still. Well done so, yeah, to them. I'm just pulling you up on your pronunciation. Now, my pronunciation isn't going to be much better, but uh, so, <laughs> uh, Occult uh, Ortmaster is Occult Ertmeister. Ertmeister. Oh, of course, yes, with the double o, with the double dots. With the dots yeah, o, the o, well and the A's. So that's, uh, yeah. Anyway, so apologies if I've tried to pronounce that in better Swedish pronunciation and it's still <laughs> fucking awful. It's still so, <laughs> But at least I'm trying. I'm trying. Yes. No. But again, brilliantly well, uh, well deserved. So I, I, I hadn't. I still haven't played Merc Boyer. Uh, I hadn't purchased it until I decided on impulse to buy it at uh, UK Games Expo, um, having seen it in my hand. And I took it on holiday with me, and I was reading that around the pool on the boat. I did get mm-hmm. some very strange looks from some of the old folks walking past with the pictures <laughs> on it. Fine, that was half the fun, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's such a great little game, and uh, I, I yeah really look forward to giving it a go at some point. Um, yeah. But actually, it took me about half an hour to read it. I mean, it's yes, really it's, it's so very simple. it's very rules light. It's really nicely done. Um, it's very stylish, and uh, which is segueing me nicely on to um, the award for the best supplement. At the Ennies, where did that go? Uh, right now, I'm just f- f- looking through best supplement. Uh, gold winner, gold war winner is uh, the Merc Boyer. Fer- I keep I keep adding a C into this word when I say it. Talk about poor pronunciation. Ferretory. I, I keep saying ferretory for some reason. But I have no <laughs> idea. Uh, I guess because it's isn't, like isn't, where a priest isn't, lives. But um, isn't isn't that some kind of like an intimate operation? the ferretry which is a lovely kind of fanzine style thing that we were selling at um and it's all i think we sold out of it at um yeah we did yeah yeah. i mean we didn't have that Um, many copies but still it went like hotcakes and it was a kind of fanzine uh, fanzine shaped fanzine form but again the the same care and attention to layout and design that they pay to everything else yeah um, so I think we're only missing one other award that Free League won, and that is a best monster, oh, best monster yeah. stroke adversary, where Vason won. Was isn't Sorry? that also what? So yeah, okay. Now carry on with that because there was another award as well. I'm not, I'm not. I don't think it's the Ennies, though, is it? Which was the. Um, the best. Oh yeah, let's come on to that in a moment. Well remembered. Well remembered. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so uh, Vason won that, and that is the end. Is over now. Tabletop awards. Yes. Go on. <laughs> well, I can't. Uh, you you know a bit more about it, and of course, it's particularly an award which you can claim to have won. Um, <laughs> or at least I can't have had a handy. category. So um, I can't remember exactly what the category was. Either. It, it's something like the best way to die. Yes. Uh, uh, go on. I'm just. I'm looking through the news here, I'm desperately trying to find it. The awards came um, out at the weekend. But uh, Alien uh, was uh, nominated for that award, 
uh, with things like uh, Acid Splash. Um, and uh, and I understand they won it. So, uh, um, remarkable. Uh, because dying from being splashed by an alien who hasn't actually touched you otherwise is obviously a really good way to go. Oh, no. Actually, I'm telling a lie. Sorry. We haven't won it yet. I thought we had won it. Okay. But the announcement you, is tomorrow. You told me we'd the won it. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure we'd won it, but um, I thought it had been announced on the 18th, but it was only voting closing on the 18th. And uh, just to keep it now, I found the thing. So we have to wait and see. But when it comes to the best way to die in an RPG award, uh, Alien RPG, the Colonial Marines, uh, Free League, uh, including acid blood and being turned into an egg. Is, is what the actual nomination says. Yeah. Which I think you had a hand in both of those, didn't you, Dave? Um, not so much turning into an egg thing, because that was part of the the, the background canon um, oh, right. that came from Drew Gasker. Well, I think you'll find Acid Blood was part of the background canon. I'm that is sure true. I remember something yeah, that, that. That, that, that is true, too. But in terms of a rule, uh, I did write the rules for, for Acid Splash, yeah. Um Yes. Which I'm well. Having said that, I did write them, and then um, Thomas toned them down slightly because they were deadlier than they are now. <laughs> um, so uh, yes, so it's not entirely me because obviously this, the, the, what we've got now is obviously uh, influenced by Thomas as well. Okay, so sorry, I, I'm entirely misunderstood that. I think I even tweeted something to the effect that we'd won a, a few days ago. But <laughs> looking at it now, I'm realising we haven't. Uh, you're oh. up against Labyrinth, the adventure game, which includes death in the bog of external stench. Now, thank God, <laughs> that I sounds think it's fun. your stiffest competition. And then The Wretched uh, by Loot the Room, uh, in which uh, you just always die, is the comment. So that doesn't sound like a great way of dying. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think your competition here is is Labyrinth, the adventure game, but we shall have to wait and see. We shall. We'll have to do a special tweet tomorrow when the news comes out. Yes. Cool. Brilliant. Right. Do we have anything else on the world of gaming? We've got a few more bits, we've haven't we? We've got loads in the world of gaming. I mean, we've been How long have we been going 40 for? 40 minutes Half already. an hour. We're not even over world of gaming yet. Don't worry. There's not much else after this. <laughs> well, other than the so, interview with Thomas, you know. Yeah. So, so that was the first item in the world of gaming. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we whistle? Uh, so the other big news, and this is uh, really big news, I think, uh, but we don't know much about it yet. And that is that Asmodee is up for sale. And Asmodee yes. is a, a big games distributor here in Europe, but they also own games like... They also own companies <laughs> like uh, um, uh, Fantasy uh, Catan and Fantasy Flight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it'd be interesting, um, and they're they're up for sale for two billion US dollars, which um, is wow. an interesting. If it's anything, a lot it's of uh, money. Uh, yes, uh, it's a sign of the expected health of the games market. Yes, yeah, which is great. Uh, but, We'll watch that story with interest. Um, yeah. Into the Odd, we talked about it in the last episode. And yeah, let's I'll not just mention in here, because the, the Kickstarter is now live. Yeah. And so we'll put a link in the show notes. You've been playtesting war stories, Dave. Yes. Well, I, well, I, I kind of suggested that we might talk about that a little bit when I thought we might not have so much to talk about. But um, <laughs> so just to say it's going really well, um, the, the group I am playing with, who, who might not be kind of your the absolute target audience because they're not military nuts, um, have been loving it. And some of the wider rules 
to try and uh, generate the feel of a wider battle while still focusing on the action of the players themselves seem to work really well. So um, that's a, that's great. There's a lot of work going on still, but we are hoping to um, to get a lot of this stuff finished in the next month or so. Uh, and then it's up to Al and Gabe at Firelock um, to decide at what point we want to launch it. Yeah, but we're not so far off now. It's it's definitely coming together. So I think that's probably Excellent. enough on War Stories for now, but it's great. I mean, I've been absolutely loving doing it. It's been brilliant fun and great okay. working with Al and Gabe. And I'm going to make a... Um make an executive decision here and remind you that the next item that we've got listed is potentially covered by an NDA. So let's not mention that at the moment. <laughs> I, I don't think just mentioning it is, but that's fine. I think we can, we can leave that for another time. That's fine. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, so the other exciting news for me is I've got a new job and it's working in a game shop. So about, um, about time two, you bloody slacker. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, although although so having said I, that, you have done the lion's share by some margin of the admin and the work behind the scenes for the podcast. Yeah, you're going to be doing a bunch so, more editing now, I can tell you. I know, that's a complete fucking disaster, actually. Yeah, quit your job, mate. It's fine. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, so, I've got a job at the game shop in Aldershot, which is one of the oldest uh, game shops in the country. Well done, mate. Uh, Congratulations and in fact, it was, on that. It was the birthplace of um, Esdivium Games, which is one of the oldest distributors. Uh, and then they sold it years ago uh, because they thought, well, you shouldn't really be in retail and distribution. Esdivium, coincidentally, of course, <laughs> are now owned by, or in fact, they, they, they were bought by Asmodee and they are now uh, part of Asmodee. Yeah, um, cool. But the game shop isn't. So I'm not affected by the £2 billion takeover of Asmodee, uh, I hope. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, and I, I, used nice. to, I, I used to buy games there for years and years and years. And um, you remember I bought in the, in the early days of our gaming, I used to run Rollmaster. Yes, I do remember that very well. Yeah. I bought that by mail order from his Deviant back in the day. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that's well done. the end. Well done, mate. Well done on your job. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, that's the end of our World of Gaming news. Um, what well, have we got move, next, Dave? Let's move swiftly on to the to the to the the centerpiece of this week's ep- this week's episode, uh, Blade Runner, <clears throat> and the new. Uh, announcement just this week of the Blade Runner role-playing game from Free League. We, I say we, you were very quick off the mark getting hold of Thomas and arranging an interview for us. And um, yeah, we asked him lots of questions. Okay, so here we are um, with uh, the great Thomas Harenstam from Free League. And we are talking today about the new news, which for us at time of recording came out yesterday, about the new Blade Runner RPG that Free League are going to be uh, putting out. And there's been a lot of excitement out there about this already, as I guess you could expect. Um, Thomas, welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, Thomas, um, as you will know, we often ask our guests uh, the first question is always about your life in gaming, but you've been on the show before and I don't imagine yeah. your life in gaming has changed very much. So we've got something different for you. So Thomas, you're in a desert walking along in the sand when all of a sudden you look down and you see a tortoise. It's crawling towards you. You reach down, you flip the tortoise over on its back. The tortoise lays on its back, its belly baking in the hot sun 
beating its legs, trying to turn itself over, but it can't, not without your help, but you're not helping. Why is that, Thomas? <laughs> Thomas? What's that? <laughs> you know what a turtle is? Same thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. Uh, That's we, can't turtle. we just we thought <laughs> this is the first interview that you've you've had post post announcement, and I thought one person's going to get away with asking that question, and, and it's going to be us, and it's going to be us. Yeah. <laughs> but Dave, you've got a more sensible question to ask. Uh, have I? Oh, I guess I have. I've got loads of sensible questions actually. Yes. Um, so uh, I remember the last time we, we met in person, Thomas, a couple of years ago, and we had a, a lovely few beers down in Sodermalm. And uh, during that, uh, that conversation, after a few pints, uh, I'd asked you about things you might have in the, in, in the pipeline, and you asked me to guess. And I, I guessed Blade Runner, um, and then was obviously sworn to secrecy, uh, unless I was you know, on pain of death. But clearly, your plans then have come to fruition. Um, it's taken a couple of years. How, how, how did that go? How did, uh, how did all that come about? Well, it actually started around the same time as Alien. So it's been a, for a quite a long time. But so that was, we had a bit of a brainstorm session that is three or four years ago now when we came up with some licenses that we would really, you know, love to get, like dream licenses. And, and Blade mm-hmm. Runner and Alien were on the top of that list. So, and then just because of, you know, these things work in, in different uh, ways and take different time to come to fruition. So I, in, just for that reason, Alien went first and then we were very busy with that. So Blade Runner was kind of a bit on the back burner for a while, but we kept on uh, working on, I mean, negotiating that and, and discussing that. And, and uh, finally that came together also. So, I mean, we, I believe we, um, Signed the agreement. Uh, it would be uh, about a year and a half ago now, something like that. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, ever since then, we've been working actively on the game. Excellent. And obviously, Martin Grip has done some wonderful illustrations that are on the website, the dedicated website you've got, to which we will link, of course, in the show notes. Um, and I've been reading that website, and I'm very excited by a lot of things you say on that website. But one of the things I wanted to ask about is you say on the website, it will push the boundaries of investigative gameplay. Uh, now, that's music to my ears. Dave will, uh, um, will probably express frustration at how I keep trying to turn Alien into an investigative <laughs> detective game. Mm. Um, well, that's my fault for allowing you to have a Commissar character in our UPP campaign. So that's the, so, you know. Inspector Shu, he's great. I love him. All I need but, to do is kill him, so it's fine. <laughs> um, so, but I'd like, can you tell us any more about this at this stage, about how it's going to be more, more investigative than, say, Alien? Right, yeah. I mean, investigative role-playing is kind of, it's, Fairly common. It's been around for a long time, so, and it and it's. Uh, I think it can work really well, but it also has some some classic pitfalls that we mm-hmm. want to avoid. And I think starting out doing Blade Runner, the core, the main focus starting out will be you will be playing Blade Runners. Blade Runner is about a lot of things, but on the face of it, like the core is is basically solving cases. You will be assigned a case to solve. That does not have to be hunt and retire a replicant. It can be any number of different things that are in some way or another related to the replicant industry or something that is connected to replicants in one way or another. So, mm. uh, but at the face of it, I mean, the core gameplay will be investigations. And we felt if we do that, if that's like the focus of gameplay, we have to do this 
right and do it in some way that's interesting and a little bit new, perhaps, or at least try to avoid those classic pitfalls. I mean, the classic pitfalls are if you don't find the, the clue you need, that you, you're completely sold. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And there, there have been different games have sold this in different ways. And it's also another pitfall is that uh, investigations can be kind of linear. They can be a bit railroady if you have to follow the per the trail that's been set up for the scenario. And if you don't, mm. you you there is no way to go off track. Mm. There's a so this, these are things that we try to work around and find different solutions to. They're not all finished yet, so I can't really go into every detail. But we want to offer. I mean, there's few different things that we're doing we want to make the crime like the the crime scene or at least the scene location investigation uh more interesting so we will use a lot of props and images mm. and photos and things that you will actually as a player have to analyze and, and uh, okay. yeah. yeah things like so that enhance uh, <laughs> so it's, uh, it'll be a game that uses a lot of props and handouts will be a key thing mm-hmm. um we're just when we're designing this we're one big inspiration has been like games like not role-playing games but but games like the, the sherlock holmes uh what's it called the, the sherlock holmes game where you the old one and oh, that, that uh, one, consulting yeah. detective exactly yeah, that yeah. One, yeah. yeah i mean it won't be exactly like that but that's one type of inspiration where you have you have like different kinds of uh, sources and people you can go to for information in a fairly free way to kind of put the puzzle together of where you want to go. But then to add to that, you will, we also want to add some kind of sense of urgency. So there will be a, a often a kind of a countdown or a timer that things will start happening and push you forward. So if you dabble around and get stuck somewhere, things will happen somewhere else. So you won't mm. have an unlimited amount of time usually to complete the investigation. And I think th- these two things together can create quite an interesting way to approach investigations where there will be that kind of time pressure, but you also have quite a lot of options to go where you want to go. And the idea is that uh, the way I think about it is that even if you kind of don't proceed perfectly, it's not, it's not Sherlock Holmes in that sense. It's not about finding that solution necessarily, because whatever you do, whether you, you, you do well or not that well, things will happen. I mean, like in the original Blade Runner movie, I mean, it's basically a case. He gets assigned to find these replicants. But th- he, he, I mean, things happen that are beyond his control and things yeah. go sideways. And the movie is not really about the investigation in the end. It's about him and about the people he meets. And so it's, and we want that kind of a thing where the investigation is like the, the, the structure that you, that you approach the scenario from. But then what it's actually about is what happens when you uh, sort of interact with it. So yeah. that's in a way what we want to achieve. Exa- all of the tools are not in place yet. We just started playtesting very briefly. So it's a, it'll be a game that is fairly heavily focused on, on the actual scenarios that we, that we put out, that we publish, uh, that we'll call case files. And they will be a fairly core thing. And the way they are written will be important for, for the game. We'll also support writing your own uh, case files, but it's not really, uh, I mean, Alien is, is, is a different kind of thing altogether because that's really a horror game. So it's, yeah. it's all about that. This is a very, it's going to have a very different type of gameplay altogether. So it's, uh, yeah, that's uh, the way we see it now. This is all music to my ears. Uh, have you, have you any thought, games? 
Mm, sorry, on. I, was, I was just going to say on that on that on that sort of mechanics point. Um, is there anything you can tell us about the push mechanic in this game? Assuming it's going to be a year zero engine game. Mm. Yeah, we're actually trying out or testing a, a little bit of a different version of the of the year zero engine. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, I'd rather not get into details because they're so unsettled yet that yeah, I just change everything and then it'll just be. It's better to wait until we're a bit further along. Uh, the push mechanic, as it looks now, uh, is fairly straightforward. Uh, you'll basically uh, degrade one of two scores, uh, a stress and a, and a health score, basically. But the, th the, the trick here, that the thing that will make this uh, game different, is that humans and replicants will respond differently to, uh, to pressure, to pushing roles. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's where you we want to build because that's a key thing. You can play humans or replicants in this game. You will be able to choose, uh, and and they will function in a bit different way uh, mechanically also to kind of enhance that that sense of how how they are uh, different. Mm -hmm. uh, which uh, key, that feeds into the push mechanic as well, among some other things. But that's part. Of it. So is there going to be a, a sort of a, a an approach similar to Alien with with secret androids that if the replicant isn't known as a replicant, they'll handle themselves like a human. Yeah, that's the, probably the case. Uh, yeah. uh, that uh, you can be. That's something we've discussed a bit because obviously you want to have that possibility of, of of realizing you're actually not human, you're a replicant. Yeah. I mean, that that would be uh, exactly how that's handled. Is is something we're working on right now because it's also a bit from a gameplay game design perspective, uh, some surprising players with something like that can be fun, but it can also be hugely disappointing. I mean, yeah. it's a way of removing player agency altogether to say, oh, the character you just made is not what you what you think. Yeah. And that's not necessarily always a good thing. <laughs> no. But that kind of thing needs to be there, but it needs to be handled in the right way. Uh, so that's something we're working on right now. It's, it's definitely mm -hmm. will be something that can happen in the game, but it's not going to be a part of every character all the time any, at any time, because I don't think that would really work in the long run, that every human yeah. character you make, it's like sooner or later, it's going to be you know, <laughs> it's just yeah. going to get old very quickly. So we yeah. have to be a bit careful with how we manage that thing. But yeah, and mechanically, we'll probably just do it the same way as an alien. As long as mm. you leave your human, you will follow the human mechanics uh, yeah. in the game also. Yeah, yeah, I can see you getting to a situation where you've got a player who gets their new human character and it's kind of like, can't wait until they get revealed as a replicant and then yeah. they eventually get revealed as a human. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> boring. <laughs> yeah, so so it's it's definitely, yeah. I mean, there's always when you, when you emulate uh, like these, I mean, it... it, it, it a bit similar in Alien in a way, just you can't use the Xenomorph all the time. You can't just yeah. play. We'll use these kind of uh, iconic moments, but you can't do them all over and over again too many times because then it will just feel old pretty quickly. So that's, yeah. we have the same kind of situation here where we want to manage that uh, fairly carefully. Will you be able to play different classes of, of replicants. So we need to sort of have Nexus 6, Nexus 8, and I'm not sure what came before that. Mm, yeah, at the moment, and yeah, at the moment, uh, the way it looks now, that at least in the core game, uh, you will, if you play a replicant, it will be a Nexus 9. And that's the right. recent model, the one that is seen that like K in the Blade Run 2049 uh, film, he's a yeah. Nexus 9, which is the newest model. That That's the one you'll be playing. 
Nexus 8 and previous ones are, are usually in hiding, uh, so they will, might be someone you might investigate or something like that. However, down the line, we are also planning um, uh, modules where you will play, perhaps you play the Replicant Underground instead, and the, and the Blade Runners will be your enemies. Mm. And in that situation, you might have primarily Nexus 8s and possibly even uh, like some... Yeah, even possibly even an earlier model, even though most of them are, are probably gone, but definitely yeah. uh, older models can come into play also in, in if you play like underground replicants. Mm. Yeah, cool. So um, you said uh, the Blade Runner films are about a lot of things. And one of the things I think, or I think other people have said, not just me, <laughs> is about loneliness. Um, and very often... Uh, Blade Runners are working alone. Yeah. Um, how do how do you square that with the the usual group of people around a table or nowadays on Zoom or whatever uh, yeah. working together? Is there a solo mode? Yeah, yeah, uh, that is a, a certainly an issue that we've discussed quite a lot because you're right. Um, I mean, in the Blade Runner films, basically you have the one Blade Runner, so very much a, a single main character, uh, but. Uh, we have a couple of things we want to do here. I mean, we do want to make it possible to play in a group, uh, but it will probably work best in a small group with not too many players. So we're recommending uh, two or three players plus the game master, not more than that. Possibly four, but not. We you won't. Don't, you don't want to have a group of like seven Blade Runners. I mean, it's just not going to make sense. <laughs> And yeah. uh, if you play in a group, will also make, give some incentives to actually split the party, which is, you know, in, in sometimes a really bad idea. I think in this game, it might work and it will, since you have the time pressure thing, you might mm. actually need to split the party to cover enough air ground in a shorter period of time. Mm. So basically what you could imagine, and also we don't plan a, a very like very antagonistic PvP thing like can happen in Alien, but you can imagine a group of being like Deckard is one character, like Gaff is another. I mean, they don't have to be best friends and, and buddies right. all the time. They can actually have, have a bit of a different agenda, but still be assigned to the same case or at least so, something like that. So it's, that's one way we approach it. But we also, like you mentioned, we want to have definitely the game will be playable one-on-one -on -one with the Game Master and... Uh, right. And one player, and possibly even as a pure solo mode. Mm. That's something we're discussing. We'll have to figure out how to square that with the investigation type of play, because most solo modes are not really about investigations. They, are, they do other things. So we need yeah. to... It's something we have on the radar, but we haven't decided if we're doing it. And if we do, we don't yet know what it would look like. So it's just on the idea stage at this point. Well, I think one-on-one -on -one is a great idea. I think, it's, yeah. as I say, I'm a bit of a fan of... Gumshoe games. Yeah. Yeah. Gumshoe 101, I think, has been a really good adaptation for, for a lot of the genres yeah. that they play in. So that sounds excellent. Um, okay, one of the other things, of course, particularly about the first Blade Runner, was uh, it was a, seen as a sort of noir revival. Um, you talk in the, in the, uh, on, on, on the website about... Los Angeles, the setting being a character in its own right and having an impact on you. Um, how much help are you going to be able to offer GMs in creating that noirish atmosphere? Yeah, I mean, we want to, there's going to be, obviously there's a lot of 
setting work done uh, just to get that city in this world uh, fleshed out uh, just both in maps and art and and, and just like an alien you uh, i think the the core rule book would be a cool resource to have uh, mm. even if you're not really a, a role player it, it's still just mm. kind of you'll get uh, a view and an insight into this world that i think it's going to be interesting and also helpful just to run the game uh, and uh, yeah i mean it's it's very much it, this the the city says it's it's fairly i mean you can technically i mean theoretically leave the city uh, in the game but most of the time you won't you will be in the city so that means that you i mean in alien you you are on one planet and then you're somewhere completely different you mm-hmm. it's not really about that here much of the game will be about exploring the city and you will one thing uh, to have recurring characters recurring locations is going to be a key thing also that we introduce a character in one scenario and and it will come back later so it's kind of mm. the world will come more alive uh in that sense that you get to know your neighborhood the piece mm. by piece by playing the game and and get to, and uh, i think that will really help also to make the the world feel alive and, and dynamic in that sense brilliant Will there be anything um, in the rules to kind of support the GM in creating parts of the city? So like in Alien and, and, and Coriolis, we've got system generators. Would there be like a block generator or a neighborhood generator kind of thing? Uh, possibly, yes. It's one of the things we're discussing and looking at. Uh, I can't say for sure whether that's going to be in the base game or not, but possibly, yeah. Yeah, yeah cool. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing as well that, uh, well, rather, from what I'm hearing, homebrewed case files are going to be quite a lot of hard work for GMs, and the ones that That's you're going to be probably true. Yeah, uh, if you want to do it with all the trimmings, basically, which you, 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 I mean, there will be ways to play it without doing like all of these case file photos and mm. prompts and stuff. Mm. You can play it in a easier way. So, but I do think. Uh, case file design is going to be a thing. I don't think this is not really a great uh, improvisational game. I think it needs mm. to be fairly planned out ahead of time. Mm. Uh, and that might uh, differ a bit from, I guess, Alien is a bit simpler. You can basically throw in some characters and, and, and a monster in a space station and go, yeah. <laughs> this is not really that. You need to think it through a bit more, I think. Mm. Plan it uh, for, it doesn't have to be huge amounts of texts uh i'm writing the first scenario now we're working on one that it could be it might we don't know if it's going to be the first one but i'm working on one scenario right now and it's it it, it's not very text intense it's not going to be have but it's it's a it needs to be structured in a very specific way so Mm -hmm. yeah there is going to be some workload to do your own but also a lot of fun so i think just designing these case files will be fun for for gms also Mm. I think there's a lot. There's a lot of um, you. You get out what you put in often, don't you? So in in a in an investigations game, I mean, the way I've always kind of tried to do it is work out what the bad guys are doing, have their timeline, and then where do the players intersect and what clues are left mm. behind. So actually, yeah. the players can then come into it at any point, and it makes it slightly easier to improvise. I think. Um, but yeah, a bit of extra effort actually often gives you a lot more fun, and uh, as you say, the uh, yeah, the, the satisfaction for players of having solved a, a mystery that might be quite difficult to solve 
is a very different satisfaction from being the one out of five to run away fast enough to escape the xenomorph. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or to push the others in the way of the xenomorph. Well, so yeah, that, can... yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so in Alien, particularly with Andrew Gasker's work as sort of um, Bible leader or whatever, um, you have managed to include all sorts of elements from the wider um, canon of Alien, the novels, the movies, the games, in in little little Easter eggs for people to discover if they really know their alien stuff well. Is there is there a different limit to what you're doing here? Have you only got the movies? Can you use stuff out of the comics? What's what's the deal there? Right. Uh, primarily, it's the movies. I mean, that's the main source. I mean, compared to Alien, I guess there is uh, not as much. I mean, there's mm. there is there is definitely other media out there for Blade Runner, but it, it not in the same vast amounts as for Aliens. Uh, and I think the the two films are are definitely the core of what we're doing. But yeah, we we um, definitely draw some inspiration from other media as well. These new comics are one thing. I mean, there's. Uh, uh, I mean, there was the old, there was the computer game from the '90s that mm. that has some nice things about it that kind of you know inspired this game also, and mm -hmm. uh, some other uh, all other publications also that are a part of more. They're more of a. I, I don't think we'll be exploring them in detail. We won't you know have locations or characters from those specific. Uh, publications maybe but right. we'll, they will be more like uh, an inspiration to what we're doing and we'll for the newer things like the uh, the comics will uh, won't uh, we'll probably take them to into account for sure and, and and try to create a coherent world of course that's also yeah the licensed owners uh, you know that's mm. that's also on them and, and in their interest to keep the the IP uh, consistent throughout different media and that's what we'll want to do also so that we will contribute to building this world yeah so you you've explained that um you know the, the movies are the key sort of uh inspiration here can you just say a few words about why you chose 2037 as the time to set the game mm -hmm. yeah we had some different ideas here um i think in the end uh you could always argue or or have there's benefits and and and, and drawbacks of, of whatever year you choose. I think anything yeah. our game in between the two films, it gives us the opportunity to draw from both of them. Uh, had we placed it in 19 or 49, it would have been very much in, then we, it would have been very much focused on that particular film and not the other one. I mean, obviously, yeah. particularly if we chose a 19, uh, but also had we chosen 49, it would be, now we have the opportunity to draw from both and pick like, what you know the coolest things from, from <laughs> yeah. one as long as it could potentially exist in, in 37 uh and also at the same time it gives us a bit more freedom because since mm. 37 has not been explored uh in either film we have a bit more uh, freedom in 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 uh designing the world at that particular year which gives us some more creative freedom while creating the game so it's kind of nice. we thought it's sort of the best of both worlds in a, in a way, um, which is uh, nice. I mean, there have been some other, there were these prequel films and forgot to mention those. Before 49 was released, uh, there was a number of uh, short films, prequel short films. There was an animated one set in 22, 
Uh, And there was another one set in 36 when the Nexus 9 replicants are kind of introduced and presented. Uh, And so, of course, they have also informed the game. So that's also, I mean, I think the 36 one shows when Wallace uh, gets... He gets uh, he he gets the Nexus Nine replicants approved for use on Earth, basically. So of course we wanted to have those in the game, so that's why we set this game yeah. after thirty six and yeah. and, uh, and hence thirty seven. So kind of as soon after thirty six as possible. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah right. Cool. Okay, this is a, a slightly trite question. Sorry, Bruce. <laughs> um, <laughs> will there be a fancy title for game uh, for the GM like Game Mother in ah, You know, I don't know. At the moment, in the in the script we have now, it's just a game master. We don't have a yeah. fancy name for it uh, yet. But if we think of one, who knows? It might happen, but not at yeah. the moment. Game runner, I guess, is the obvious one. Or <laughs> Blade Master. Yeah. One of the <laughs> yeah, cool. We'll see. <laughs> um, and, cool. and this is a more, um, I say, I just thought of this, so I'm improvising this one. Uh, of course, in in the in the original book and in the first movie, a Blade Runner was a kind of freelancer who was commissioned by the police. By 2049, they obviously, or they appear to me, to be a unit of the police. Um, so are, are, are our Blade Runners here in uh, 2037, are, are they actual policemen? And they do it, you know, you talked about the investigations covering lots of other aspects of life, not just um, killing um, or retiring replicants. Represents. Um, hmm. So is that a, is that a, Another yes, uh, the Blade Runners of, of 37 are part of the uh, of the LAPD. I think, I mean, there's there, we're going into setting details. I, I think, I mean, there was a, a Blade Runner unit even in 19, but but uh, I won't go into I mean, it. They have been reorganized a bit throughout the years, but but in any case, in our game, uh, in this world, they are part of the of the uh, of the LAPD, yeah is i guess the big one for all the fans which is when can they expect to see kickstarters or pre-orders uh, appearing in their in uh, inboxes that's right. two questions yeah. is it a kickstarter or a pre-order and then well, there is that as well yeah <laughs> right uh yeah we'll see about that we just don't know yet uh whether the, the form it will take some kind of, of pre-order or pre-purchase option in some fashion will most likely happen but yeah. we don't know the form it will take yet and also not the exact time. Uh, it won't be. It will not be this year that much. Uh, yeah. So we won't start any pre-order or run any Kickstarter or anything like that for this uh, before the end of the year. Uh, we think it's it's um, actually quite nice to have a bit of a longer uh, period of time like this to have the game announced, but not yet having started. You know because. For Alien, it was just about a month in between when the mm. announcement and then the pre-order start, which is fine. But uh, having a bit more time here, it's, it's it's quite useful. Also, just to gauge, you know, interest, get feedback, to have. I mean, so it's it's actually um, gives us a bit more. Uh, yeah, breathe, breathing it's space. A, yeah, yeah, breathe, a bit more breathing space. I think that's why we decided to do it this way. So, at least, I mean. 
Well, nothing is a hundred percent sure, but at this, as it looks now, we will not be doing this uh, not before the end of the year, but yeah. probably fairly early next year. But we'll get back. We'll just have to get back to that when we can later on. My yeah. wallet thanks you. <laughs> um, actually, while we've got Thomas here chained down, um, <laughs> <laughs> what news on part three of Mercy of the Icons? Are we going to ah. see that before the end of the year? Uh, right, possibly. Uh, it's uh, last I heard, this is not a project I'm running myself. Of course, mm -hmm. I'm fairly aware of what's happening. Uh, it's it's very much toward the end. There is still writing going on, and I think we had the plan to get to publish it before the end of the year. I'm not 100 percent sure would actually make that, but it's in, if. If not, it's it's an early early next year release, so it's it's very much in the works. Mm. A lot of art is being produced to find text is finalized and everything, but uh, I cannot say for sure whether it's going to be this year or early next. Brilliant! That's as good an answer as we might expect. We'll have to pin Martin down, um, Matthias down later on. Yeah, we could ask we could ask this we could ask the same question about um, you know the the mythic Britain and Ireland and about uh, the alien. <laughs> creating better worlds and all these other things that freely is producing that uh, everyone is chomping at the bit to get their hands on yeah um, that's a whole different interview we leave that up to doug and his free league updates every month so uh, <laughs> we don't no, need to cool. repeat that but so thank you very much for making the time uh, to talk to us today thomas sure. uh, it's been great and i have yeah. to say all the words I've heard about it are the words I was really hoping for, and there were none of the words I was fearing. So, so this is all really good news. <laughs> good luck. Hope it all goes yeah. well. And um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll be in touch when there's some more questions to ask. Absolutely, brilliant. Thank you so much. Thanks. Well, I am very excited by that. Um, as I, I said tell. in the interview, in fact, that you know, I I I'm very excited. I. When it was first announced, I was more excited, I think, than you were about it, or as excited uh, as you were about Aliens. And I wasn't that excited by Alien. Um, although, obviously, I'm very excited now because we're in the book. Uh, <laughs> but as I said in the interview, uh, this is, I, you know, I like detective stories in role-playing games. Yeah. And, um, this is this is working really hard towards that, and yeah. I had a few concerns when it was announced. I thought, well, you know, how well are they going to do that? Um, but it strikes me that what Thomas is talking about, at least philosophically, is exactly what I want to hear. Mm. And a lot of the concerns I had in the back of my mind, is, I'm 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 reassured not to be concerned by those. So yeah, I'm, yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited as well. I think the the. The the one thing that it, it's it, it's kind of reminded me is actually Blade Runner and twenty forty nine um, are are like like kind of noir investigation movies. You know, they're not yeah. action films. Although twenty forty nine has some ridiculous, unnecessary action thrown yes, in at the end because everyone seems to think you need to have a big fight nowadays um, in a which, car full of water. Frankly, um, you know, I was I was watching it the other day, and uh, I I put it on fast forward for the fight because it's just too bloody boring. Um, and, and and it would have been so much better if they'd had some kind of tense standoff and tense conversation that was maybe a third of the length of the fight. And you could still have the outcome being the same. Yeah. That 
Love gets killed and Kay gets shot, uh, but they get away. Um, but it didn't need to be a bloody fight. Anyway, uh, so, but it was interesting that, that Thomas talking about the mysteries, uh, not, not in those terms, but the investigation that would have kind mm. of a, a kind of a ticker behind it almost that will add a bit of pressure. Um, yes. And it, and it made me think a little bit of the kind of the, the mystery structure and schedule in things from the flood and tales of the loop, which doesn't explicitly have a, um, a kind of ramping up the speed pressure in it, but the investigations, the mysteries do, because obviously that's how you build up tension towards the end of the mystery. So it'd be interesting. I'm kind of, I, I, I don't want it to have a tales from the loop mystery feel to it. So I hope they do something a little bit different from that. And it sounds like they're going to, from what Thomas was saying, in terms of almost a bit like CSI Blade Runner mm. kind of thing. Um, yeah. Where, I mean, and again, I think I have slight concerns. Concerns is the wrong word. I think there are pitfalls to fall into in in the idea of handouts and stuff, because then it becomes, uh, you, you can run the risk that the, that the players have got to find the right clue in the right picture, you know, um, mm. Well, and if they, uh, if they I miss think, it, yeah. I, I think one of the things that he seemed to be hinting at is if they miss a clue, something happens that advances the the timeline, <laughs> as you say, some, but it gives them yeah. another lead. Yes. Um, uh, so, but, so yeah. that uh, what what you get by missing the clue isn't a dead end, which happens quite a lot no, in something absolutely. like Cthulhu. Yeah. It's uh, it just makes things um, a bit more dreadful when as yeah. you get closer to to finding the answers. So that yeah. that you know, it's a difficult thing to juggle, and I think it will be really difficult. Uh, not impossible, but it'll be hard work for GMs to do their own homebrewed stuff with the same effect. I think oh, but, yeah, um, I mean, hard, hard work might not be the right way of putting it. It, it just it will take more effort. Yeah. Um, I think there is another thing which I fully suspect they won't fall into the trap of, which I'm in fact from what Thomas said, they, you know, they're not going to, which is the idea of you know hiding a key clue behind a dice roll. Um, yeah. If you fail the dice roll, then you don't get the clue. You don't get it. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I think the one thing that came to mind was I would very much like to to redo uh, or reprise my old Judge Dread Sand Harvest the six 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 scenario in this setting. Because I think okay. that would, that's the kind of thing that would work beautifully for it a would, yes. Blade Blade Runner style uh, investigation, you know, case file, as as Thomas called it. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. And and you know, there'd be robots. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, that that's an in joke between you and I. So yeah. <laughs> so this is all very exciting news. Um, we will keep on top of this project because we're really excited by it. Yeah. And I know that Dave and I have both written independently to Thomas saying, you know, if there's anything you'd like us to do for the Blade Runner thing. Give us a job, Thomas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, give us a job. <laughs> um, so uh, we will wait and see. I have, yeah. though, thanks to Jonathan Bay, a little bit of extra and interesting world of gaming news that has just come up in on, on our Discord. Okay. Go on then. I haven't seen. I've got. I've got no internet. No, because you've got no internet, have you? Fucking. Um, 
So, Jonathan has just a, an, announced a thing from Geek Native, we'll put a link in the show notes, that says that Edge, the Asmodee-owned RPG studio that picked up tabletop role-playing games from Fantasy Flight, has announced Adventures in Rokugan, which will be a D&D 5e version of... Um, okay of L5R and okay. you know he raises the interesting question because we haven't seen much come out of Edge since Asmodee basically stopped um, um, production of RPGs at Fantasy Flight I've not seen much out yeah. of Edge so are they going to are they going to replace uh, the current 5th edition L5R with oh dear that's confusing <laughs> the 5th edition of the L5R rules are they going to replace that with D&D 5e compatible <laughs> L5R, yeah. which will be 6th edition of L5R. But uh, in 5e, yeah. Yeah, are um, they dropping uh, their own rule set entirely? Okay, uh, yeah, quite possibly. Uh, yeah, I, I, I wonder if I'm not the only person whose heart sank the moment I heard yeah. L5R and 5e D&D in the same sentence. Uh, yes. Why does everything? Why um, does everything have to be put into bloody five E D and D? I mean, just leave L five R as a game, particularly fourth edition, is bloody brilliant. You don't need it to be turned into D and D. Go and get it and just play it for God's sake. <clears throat> and I'm pretty sure this is a thing that's happened once before. I think there was a D and D Rokugan version, you know, uh, some point yeah, maybe, maybe. in the past before we ever started playing. Um, yeah, that that worries me. I'm my heart sinks as well, but I thought given the news about Asmodee that we've been talking about today and the fact that we also mentioned L5R, we couldn't save this for two weeks. And anyway, no, it would be old no, news. No, it's a good call. It's a good call. Um, <sighs> okay. Right. Well, on that note, we have banged on for a long episode this week, so I suspect yes. we ought to call it there, unless you've got any more nuggets up your sleeve there, Matt. I have got no nuggets nowhere. <laughs> Excellent. So the rumours have said, mate. <laughs> right, anyway, uh, on that note, it's uh, goodbye from me and see you next time, guys and girls. And it's goodbye from me as well. I'm not even going to say goodbye from him. <laughs> You're annoyed with me now, aren't you? May the icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing. <laughs>